Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome, weary traveler. Need a short rest? Oh, I see. They said you'd be showing up about now. Come on, through the portal. Best not keep the Lord Mistress and more Master waiting. You know how they get. Robots Radio presents The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio, and it is my sad duty to report that Mary will not be joining us this week. Uh, unfortunately, she came down with a pretty bad case of sewer plague. Um, she she booped something she shouldn't have booped. Uh, got bitten by by this little vermin that carried the disease. Um, and now uh, and she failed her her DC eleven Constitution saving throw because, you know, what's who's Mary if not a bad roller when it counts? And she'll she'll admit, that's that's something she'll admit you know, herself. Um, so yeah, she, um, she is, uh, so she is exhibiting the symptoms of sewer plague, uh, fatigue, cramps, exhaustion, uh, stuff like that. Um, and I, I guess she just keeps failing, um, her, uh, her constitution saving throw. Either way, we hope the, uh, we hope the best for Marion that she uh, gets back on her feet as quickly as possible because I, I, I can't deliver puns like she can, unfortunately. Uh, I, I, I'm getting a, a bit better in my, in my punnery, but you know, there's, there's nothing like the original, but this week we are taking a short break from, from our, uh, hotter than the nine hells series, uh, because, uh, I mean, we don't want, we don't want to, we don't want you to overbake essentially. We don't want you to get a sunburn. Uh, so we're going to take a little bit of, we're going to take a little dip 
into uh into some cooling waters we're going to take a trip to the beach and uh talk about some creatures that you might find at the beach at uh at several at different bodies of water we're going to talk about some uh some aquatic creatures we're going to talk about the lokatha and we're going to talk about the grung so let's start off talking about the lokatha uh they are a fish-like humanoid race uh, also known as uh, fishmen or gillmen, also known in the uh, Kuotoan language as kaparl, which translates as slave in that language, and that's uh, and that's because the Lakatha they have a long history of they've been dealt a pretty bad hand in terms of uh, their history when it comes to um, it comes to the species being enslaved. They're often looked upon as victims of prejudice and injustice uh, because they've off, they've been a slave of nearly every race of, of Seros, which is the undersea realm of the Sea of Fallen Stars at various times in the past. Um, and although that there are still some Lokata slaves you know, dotted around the deeper oceans, most are now free and living in more shallow waters as nomadic hunter-gatherers. Uh, some point to that hunter-gatherer culture as a sign of barbarism or lack of civility. Uh, but the Lakata simply move on and pay them little mind. They just, brush, just brush that dirt off their shoulders and keep doing their thing. Uh, because for, foremost in their minds uh, are their sense of community, one, and two, an overwhelming drive for freedom. So what, uh, what, how how would you how would you be able to determine a lakatha? If were you to look upon a creature, you could be like, "That's a lakatha." Well, like I said, they are humanoids. Uh, they're like they're fishmen, so they kind of look exactly like what you think. They're humanoids covered uh, by fine scales. They're fish-like heads, having large eyes, uh, gaping, toothless mouth, and small fins where ears should be. Uh, the males are distinguished from females by the coloration of a stripe near the egg sac. Uh, their skin consists of usually olive green to ochre colored scales, but their stomach scales uh, range from sea green to pale yellow. And then the female's egg sac stripe is uh, usually the same color as the stomach scale, usually just like a, a continuation of that color scheme. Uh, they're hairless. I mean, as I don't know that I've ever seen a um a fish with hair so that that tracks uh but they do have a dorsal fin uh that either matches the scales tone or the stomach coloration uh what's cool about their eyes though it's interesting they're either all black or uh and this is a good omen all white so if you have an all white eyed okatha that's considered a good omen i don't know why i couldn't find that in the research i don't know um if you know in terms of you know just maybe like you'll have a good uh good day that day uh maybe you'll end up slaying the red dragon at the end of your campaign who can say so <laughs> despite uh centuries of cruelty lokatha are not by nature angry or vengeful toward their oppressors uh, their sense of tribal unity is merely heightened by that and so they form these tight-knit units for their own protection. And for a lot of them, in their minds, they were enslaved in times past only when they were at odds with either their own kind, like with themselves, like infighting, or with a um, 
an allied uh, species or at least a formerly allied species. So as a result of that, that mindset, a lot of those Lakotha do everything possible to keep their alliances together uh, to prevent that, um, that fragmentation that allowed large segments of their people to fall into slavery. Uh, and so while they do not ally with just any species, like you might think like, well, they're just going ahead and, you know, like, hey, we're friends and we're friends and we're friends. Uh, they don't necessarily do that. Um, what they do, they, they once they become allies, though, they are pretty staunch allies once others have proven themselves trustworthy uh, to a specific Lokatha and then later that Lokatha's whole tribe. So allyship does not come easily to a Lakatha, but once it does come, it uh, it's pretty steadfast. And um, and a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, they, you know, they are very, they're, they're very like honorable uh, species, like in terms of, you know, that's something that is very important to them. Uh, the, and another, the other prime factor in their minds is their almost uh, like primal need for freedom. Um, if uh, if enslaved or imprisoned, Lokatha will do pretty much everything possible to regain their freedom. Uh, everything you know, except threaten the welfare of their own school of their own tribe. Essentially, uh, they do not see any shame in being imprisoned or bullied by greater fo foes. It is only shameful. It is shameful only to do nothing about the situation. So like I said, like that very, that, that kind of like almost stoic honor is very much ingrained in Lokatha culture. Uh, speaking of that culture, it's organized in a communal tribe system. And while smaller hunting parties uh, and colonies of under a hundred people are male dominated hunting schools, Lokatha often fa uh, usually favor a matriarchal chieftain. The chieftain is equally responsible for the viability of her tribe by laying a multitude of eggs, and also the children are raised equally by the entire community. It takes a village, after all. Uh, so Lakatha are primarily nomads traveling among their usual territories along the coasts of Faerun in uh, usually warm coastal seawaters. Uh, and they're actually they're while they do kind of hang around in the shallow waters, they are perfectly happy living in deeper waters. They actually have a dive depth depth of about 800 feet. But that's that those deeper waters are usually where their former captors tend to live. Uh, and so these such places, the Lakatha tribes have uh, kind of tend to avoid and so have thus acclimated themselves to living in the shallows instead. They uh, also, once swam among the currents of the Alamber Deeps, but the Sahogin hunted them to extinction in those waters or to near extinction. And to this day, as a result of that, there is a great hatred between the Lokata and the Sahaguin. Uh, so, uh, Lokata are territorial and protect their hunting territories and kelp uh, grounds with the zeal of those who once were enslaved and who refused to ever be again. Uh, religious ceremonies to their creator god, Iadro, are kept totally private, but otherwise, Lokatha are welcoming of strangers. Uh, so what, what's the deal with uh, Iadro? So Iadro 
is the creator of the Lokatha and also the Merfolk uh, and was worshipped exclusively by these two species, though each worshipped him pretty differently. Uh, Merfolk were pretty open and uh, kind of evangelical about their worship, whereas the Lokatha worshipped him as the deliverer and only males were allowed in the clergy and their religious practices were kept secret from all others. Uh, they used prayer as a form of redemption from the punishment they believe was bestowed upon their species for improper worship, uh, pointing, and they believe this, you know, pointing to the fact that they were frequently enslaved during that during their history. Uh, and then also their scaly bodies as opposed to the merfolk smoother ones, uh, which I'm not a huge fan of. I don't I don't like that at all. Um, and so they aim to use this, uh, their prayer to be redeemed and transformed into merfolk. Uh, I give that a big thumbs down. Uh, what I do like is this, is that after about five centuries of this type of worship, after about 500 years, some Lokatha began to worship other sea deities at Myth Nantar, preaching acceptance of their bodies and abilities that Iadro gave them. So that I am down for, like just... The fact that they think that um, they were punished for some reason for giving having these scaly bodies as opposed to the merfolk's smooth ones, uh, not a, not a fan of that. Not a fan. I'm a fan of loving who you are and uh, being comfortable in your own skin, whether it's um, the skin of a fish fish man or the skin of a mermaid. I don't know. So uh, before we finish up with Lokatha, a couple more notes. Um, they have uh, some Lokata have begun to live among more permanent settlements among the slopes atop and within the Hmir Plateau. Uh, and they place great value on traditions and habits. Um, it's easy to offend a Lokata unintentionally by violating one of their unwritten social rules, uh, one of which is never approach a Lokata with a weapon in hand. It is seen as it is seen as aggressive as, as as an aggressive move, and will be met with either fight, uh, or uh, flight, fight or flight. So you're either going to, and of course, there's there's always going to be someone in your party. It's like you know the the DM will say like you come across you come upon, uh, like an old campsite and walking up, is a lokata with you know holding um holding some berries and holding some some roughage and of course there's always going to be uh someone in the party who's like i draw my sword and bully him to like get to get his berries um and you know that's fine that's cool but just just to let you know like that's some in world you know sociology you do that you're either going to have to fight that lokatha or they're going to run off and they might end up getting you know some of their buddies um, also, physical contact is rarely made with Lokatha as they prefer not to be touched except by, you know, another Lokatha. And again, that's something I can relate to. I don't want anyone touching me uh, unless uh, unless I know you, unless uh, you're one of mine. Uh, if they need to lead someone, uh, like if, you know, if they're in the ocean or they're in the shallows and they uh, they need to lead someone somewhere, they will encircle the person or creature and lead by their wake currents. Uh, but despite all this, though, you know, they are quite open 
to surface worlders, as they're called, and often guide newcomers around Theros, which again is like I said, it's the undersea realm of the Sea of the Fallen Stars. So if you're at the beach, you see Lokatha, don't approach them with a weapon, don't draw a dagger and walk up to it. Be a fr- be friendly, be nice. We're going to take a quick little break, go to the middle of the show, and then when we come back, we're going to talk grungs. We're going to talk those uh, lovely little poisonous frog people. <laughs> Welcome to the middle of the show. Of course, the middle of the show is where we thank our patrons. We uh, take a look at any recent Dungeons and Dragons news, as well as get into a little bit of homebrew shenanigans. Uh, so your basic housekeeping stuff. Uh, first and foremost, we want to thank all the patrons over at patreon.com slash lorecast, including our newest patron, Gamer Dad. Thank you so much, Gamer Dad, for signing up for supporting the show in this way. Um, 100% of the funds from the Patreon go to making the show bigger and better uh, to designing um, uh, merchandise, uh, like t-shirt designs that you can pick up at uh, at our Redbubble location uh, or Redbubble store location, like it's a brick and mortar. Uh, a Redbubble store, uh, With of course, there's a link in the show notes to that. Uh, and of course, like paying the artist uh, to the uh, upcoming uh, magic item of the week, DMs Guild um, content that we're producing, as well as other you know fun stuff uh, to give back to to the to the community that we are starting to build here, and to uh, like I said, make the show uh, bigger and better, and as um, as as great as possible. You know, as a, we we love. We do this as a as a labor of love, and the fact that um, that so many of you are supporting it in this way is nothing beyond humbling. Um, if you want to support the show, like I said, in that way, you can go to patreon.com slash dndlorecast. Uh, also, if you want to support the show in other ways, you can do so by uh, going to Spotify, going to Apple Podcasts, leaving five-star reviews, um, interacting with us, and following us on all of our social medias. We are Pretty much everywhere, uh, we are at uh, DND Lorecast uh, on on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, and we are still working hard on getting the Twitch up and running. Got a cool, a bunch of cool ideas for streaming. Uh, Mary's been talking about doing um, doing a cooking stream from the uh, from the official DND cookbook. Uh, I'll be doing um, for sure. I'll be doing. Uh, like Baldur's Gate streams, as well as other like TTRPG games, like uh, like Cyberpunk or Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, stuff like that. So we're very excited about the impending uh, launch of the Twitch channel. Like I said, that's all thanks to um, everyone's support, not just the patrons, but everyone listening. And so again, thank you so much for that. Uh, as far as uh, D&D news, uh, there was one thing I was able to find. There, uh, kids is releasing some more monster minis so um a couple i think it was in 2022 uh WizKids uh put out D D first edition uh monster series um which is like little like a little, almost like like tiny funkos of um of like classic D monsters well uh in February of 2024, the second wave of these will be released. 
this set includes uh, more monsters from the rich lore of first edition D&D, which include a kobold, a shrieker, a water elemental, a yeti, a lich king, an umber hulk, an owl bear, a carrion crawler, a quasit, a troll, an otyug, a shambling mound, and a blue dragon. These are uh, they're blind box figurines. Uh, so you'll be able to you know try to collect them all if you can. Uh, I mean, I I'm, I'm a sucker for just about any for D and D one and for toys too. I mean, so this is this is right in my wheelhouse. So uh, a link to the um, to the article about those is in the show notes, of course. And now as far as um, fun homebrew stuff, uh, we're gonna give you the usual um, the usual uh, content that we provide at least usual suggestions that we provide. And then I want to discuss something really cool that was brought to my attention. So first and foremost, um, we have a couple of listings. One is uh, one grung above. This isn't exactly homebrew. It's actually an official wizards of the coast. Um, uh, this is official wizard of the coast content. Um, and you can get it for four ninety nine on the DMS guild, or you can even get it on D and D beyond. Uh, from the depths of the jungles of Chult, they're here. Uh, and what's cool about this, uh, about this Grung adventure is that um, all the proceeds that Wizards receives from the sale of this product are being donated to the uh, charity Extra Life. And so, if you're not familiar with Extra Life, it's really cool. It's a charity that is um, part of the Children's Miracle Network hospitals. Um, essentially you can, it's playing games and raising funds and, and, you know, helping, um, helping kids. So it's, it's, there's wins. It's not just win-win it's there are multiple wins across the board. So, like I said, like I couldn't talk about grungs and not bring that up, not bring up, uh, some very cool official content that you can buy that will also, um, help an awesome charity. But as far as like full blown, um, homebrew, We've also got We Are Grung, which you can get the PDF for $4.99. The village of Bang Bang Woosh has come under siege by the vile Yuanti. Can you and your fellow Grung defend the village, celebrate your victory, and maybe come out of it with a few more shinies? Uh, this is cool. This is uh, described as a single table module, but it was originally run at GaryCon 10 as a multi-table event. And the multi-table rules remain within the module as optional rules. So it's very cool. Like, I, the, you know, having multi-tables running the same game is something that uh, I feel like not a lot of people have done. Uh, but it's so much fun. It's it's a blast to uh, be playing the same game as someone as a different table and have like your your game affect their game and vice versa. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think it's actually it's it's absolutely cool. Uh, like I said, you can buy it for four ninety nine, uh, five star rating. It's like I said, there's there's no reason uh, not to if you're looking for something fun to play. And as far as that really cool surprise that I was talking about, we've uh, this was brought to our attention by our patron Jeff Steele. Uh, there is a Kickstarter that uh, just launched a few days ago. It's actually already it's already over a hundred percent funded, but there's still twenty five days ago. And we are pretty excited about it here at the tower. It's Rise of the Black Coven. Children are being taken. 
a dark cult is on the rise. Will your party be able to uncover their wicked schemes? This is a, a five, a fifth edition, a five E uh, campaign as well as setting, uh, much like um, uh, like Curse of Strahd in in you know a, an official D and D. And in fact, um, the creator of Rise of the Black Coven points specifically to Ravenloft and to Curse of Strahd as an inspiration for this um but what's you know and so aside from i mean it's uh it's it's dark it's spooky uh it's you know obviously right in our wheelhouse one uh it's awesome D homebrew too uh but beyond this uh the creator uh christian allure and i don't know if i'm saying that correctly and hopefully they'll be able to uh correct me in the future uh um, and if you back the kickstarter in, in any amount you will get a digital copy of the campaign. You'll get a PDF of of the release of of Black Coven Rises, um, and so I mean, like, you know, their goal obviously is to uh, have a successful Kickstarter to you know create an amazing like hardcover physical copy book uh, for people to enjoy. But foremost, you know, they want to they want to release their work to the public they want as many people as possible to enjoy their work and you know i think that's what really appeals to us here at the tower more so than anything else and so there will be a link to that kickstarter in the show notes uh we are we we've backed it we we sent we sent out a tweet uh, proving that we backed it um, because we we believe in it that much. And we want to thank Jeff for, for bringing it to our attention. Like I said, hopefully we'll be able to um, to discuss it a little bit more in depth with uh, with Christian here in the future, because like I said, this, this is pretty exciting. I, I brought it to Mary's attention um, in between uh, her trips to uh, to the bathroom as a result of her sewer plague. Um, and her, her verbatim was, yes, absolutely. I'm super invested already. <laughs> So yeah, this is something that we're pretty excited about. Uh, so definitely check those out. Check out the uh, the aforementioned Grung Adventures, both the official and the homebrew um, that we discussed earlier. And again, thank you so much for supporting the show in all the ways that you do. And let's 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 talk some Grung. Let's talk some Frog Boys. <laughs> Not all Grungs are evil. A few are willing to help explorers in exchange for food or treasure. Evil or not, grungs worn away intruders by hanging the bodies of slain foes from trees at the edge of their territory. I, I, that's, yeah, like evil or not, that's freaking brutal. Hanging the bodies of slain foes from trees uh, to like warn people, to warn possible intruders or even just you know not even intruders anyone off it's wild uh grung predominantly evil frog folk who live in villages scattered throughout the jungle uh, they build their primitive structures from mud vines and wicker and are they're more comfortable in trees than they are the ground they pepper enemies with poisoned arrows and leap from branch to branch without leaving any trail uh it Obviously, they are fiercely territorial. If the the hanging bodies of slain foes wasn't enough of an indicator, uh, and see themselves as superior to most other creatures, 
So what does a, what does a grung look like? So adult grungs uh, usually stand at about three feet or about one meter. Uh, males generally smaller than females. Uh, they resemble small humanoids with strong toad or frog-like legs that end in webbed feet. So battle toads, pretty much battle toads. Um, there were uh, the frogs from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the punk frogs, essentially the, you know, the frog version of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, so, I mean, pretty much, pretty much that idea. Uh, torsos and heads, less amphibian, more humanoid, uh, muscular forearms, and their hands have opposable thumbs. So very much, very much humanoid in that sense. Uh, creatures, they stood upright and moved about in quick, short hops. But unlike frogs and toads, like actual frogs and toads, uh, grung are incapable of long leaps. Uh, the evolution of grung gave them intelligence and opposable thumbs and ingenuity, but took away their prehensile tongues, which were uh, you know common among amphibian races. So uh, no shooting out, eating flies for, for your grung. Uh, instead, what they have is a wide mouth uh, full of sharp teeth. Uh, they have bright colored skin. Uh, and their uh, the skin is kept slick and wet since they breathe through it. Uh, their eyes are red with black pupils, uh, and their eyes are comparatively smaller than those of frogs or toads, and are they're crowned with hard a hard protective ridge. Uh, grungs produced by laying eggs, uh, which hatch into gray tadpoles, which then undergo uh, metamorphosis into the amphibious humanoids. Uh, about the, it takes about three months to do so. Um, and then into adults over another six to nine months. So from egg to full-blown adult in about a year. Uh, and then by this time, their skin has adopted, uh, you know, whatever bright color uh, it's going to end up being. And then it's going to, that's good. That's what's going to identify the grung with their cast. And so, uh, their society is organized in caste and like in groups and sections and in, in uh, hierarchy that, you know, it's all dependent. It's all determined on the grung's color. And we'll get into that. We'll get into the, you know, what the colors mean and, and, you know, the hierarchy and the different poisons that they produce, the different dyes that they produce um, here in a little bit. Uh, grungs, they reproduce quickly. Uh, and it's said that one chieftain named Yorb had at least 180 children and that that was just his sons so 180 sons not to mention like how many uh daughters that he had so uh a little bit about their history when the people of omu began worshiping the nine trickster gods after uptau abandoned them in the 13th century dr one of the one of these tricksters was a grung named nangnang Subsequently, Nang Nang and the rest of the trickster gods would be slain by Asarak and sealed in the tomb of the nine gods during the late 14th century DR. But worship of Nang Nang would continue among the grung of Cholt. These grung uh, would end up occupying Nang Nang's shrine and the Amuan ruins, and in the century to come, would war with local Yuanti. And, and and others in order to maintain their hold on the shrine. In late 15th century DR, the despotic grung, King Groke of Drungalung, <laughs> this, these names are awesome, uh, Dung, Dungralung, 
demanded that his subjects a erect a 60 foot uh about 18 meters uh tall shrine to the dead goddess and that his priestess karuk attempt to summon her so that the king could mate with her uh knowing that this scheme would fail and that she would subsequently be blamed karuk devised a plan to use a set of marvelous pigments to create a lifelike facsimile of the goddess to fool her king uh so which i love this it's like you have this like wild you know crazy king who has this equally wild and equally crazy idea to summon to to build a shrine to a dead goddess in order to summon her so then he could then mate with her and then the priest is like oh that's that's not gonna work and when it doesn't work he's gonna blame me and i'm gonna no that's not and so he and so the priest is dead instead uh creates like uh i don't like a like a mannequin of this goddess the full to full uh king groke uh it doesn't say in the research if if it did fool him though i i'm a, i'm really hoping it did i'm really hoping um uh this uh grung king like makes it with this uh obviously fake uh mannequin goddess um that's you know and we're talking about potential content for the for the D streaming channel that's you know that's a that's a at least a movie right that's you know that's at least or that's uh that's the plot of at least like a, one of the sitcoms like where uh you know the the main characters travel to this grung village and that's what's going on and they have to help karuk uh create this mannequin anyway uh so abilities what can grungs do uh all grungs secrete a substance that is uh harmless to them but very poisonous to other creatures this doesn't however like you know this doesn't make them immune to other poisons and venoms however so um this secretion was quite sticky and grungs could easily wipe their weapons uh of their own on their own skin to coat them in this highly toxic substance uh when exposed to air grung venom quickly deteriorates and breaks down within a minute uh which makes it extremely hard to harvest and bottle so it's not something that you'd be able to find like in a marketplace uh, and their saliva actually contains the same poison, albeit it's more diluted. It's a, it's much weaker version. Uh, while all grung poisons have you know debilitating effects, uh, each color of grung poison also causes a unique ailment in their victims. So green, the green poison, uh, the poison creature can't move except to climb or make standing jumps. If the creature is flying, it can't take any actions or reaction reactions unless it lands the poison from a uh, blue grung uh, the poison creature must shout loudly or otherwise make a loud noise at the start and end of its turn uh which is awesome uh, i love how like some of these um uh are very much like uh you know will affect combat will affect you know your your action economy in a way and some are just, just for flavor and it's awesome so purple poison, uh, the poison creature feels a desperate need to soak itself in liquid or mud, and it can't take actions or move except to do so, or at least, you know, to try to reach a body of liquid or mud. Uh, the poison from a red grung, the poison creature must use its action to eat food. <laughs> if 
if food was is it within reach uh which i don't i don't understand like the logic behind that like you get hit uh like okay uh the red grung uh steadies its arrow you know its bow at you shoots an arrow does a 17 hit like yeah that that actually that that matches my ac like all right you are poisoned uh, you have to eat food if it's in within reach. Doesn't make any sense, but I love it. Uh, the poison of an orange grung. Uh, the poison creature is frightened of its allies. And then the poison of a gold grung. The poison creature is charmed and can speak grung, which is awesome because at that point you are charmed by the grung and then can also understand and speak to the grung who has charmed you. Uh, so while grunk skin secretions lose uh, their potency as poisons almost immediately, this substance can be harvested to produce fabulously colorful dyes. And then these in turn uh, can be used to create colorants with magical properties when applied to the hair of humanoids. So this is really cool. So the blue, the, the dye made from the, the, the skin secretions of a blue grung uh, massively amplify the sound of hair, causing it to rustle loudly as the treated creature moves and producing a deafening shockwave if the hair is shaken vigorously. That's pretty cool. Uh, the skin secretion that can produce green grung dye causes the creature's hands and feet to also turn green and grants enhanced jumping and climbing abilities. Although you have to keep, and it doesn't just because they're the hands and feet turn green doesn't necessarily mean that it also has the ability to withstand these sorts of jumps. Uh, engaging in these behaviors can be quite painful, so you would have to take um, probably falling damage uh, into account if you're making a, a, a long leap like that. Uh, and then finally the. The purple grung dye causes the creature's hair to become sopping wet and to continuously generate purple dyed water that stains anything it's soaked. Uh, again, like doesn't seem there's like more flavor than anything, but uh, we're here. We're here for the flavor. We're we're here as much for the lore and for the mechanics as we are for the flavor. Uh, so grungs are, are amphibious, and although they can survive underwater. They're better climbers and swimmers, which is why they're, you know, they prefer trees. Uh, but they need to stay wet at all times as dry skin will kill them via suffocation. So they need to submerge themselves in water for at least one full hour every day or their health begins to deteriorate. Uh, and then six days without access to water is sufficient enough to kill a grung. A grung's diet consists of, you know, the local mammals that are found within its territory you know, stuff like rats, uh, but they, and this is gnarly, they have been known to eat members of other grung tribes as well as travelers. Um, so yeah, imagine like, you know, four or five grungs just like chomping down on, uh, you know, a merchant that has gone missing. Uh, so due to their highly toxic skin, grungs have very few natural predators aside from each other. Uh, giant snakes, however, are immune to these grung toxins, and um, and so they freely hunt, freely hunt grungs. Obviously, like they have no reason not to. Uh, and it's also said that tabaxi also hunt grungs, although the purposes for that is unknown. 
So some of their behavior, you know, due to their size, their small stature, grungs often avoid direct confrontation and prefer ambushing their prey. The most common ambush strategy uh, is line camouflage, uh, waiting for their opponents or, you know, be, be it grungs from other tribes or, uh, you know, their quarry to uh, venture into the range of their short bows or their throwing spears. And so in addition, like I said, in addition to their, you know, naturally poisonous nature, uh, grungs will use their venom to poison their weapons. And if their prey survives the initial volley, a grung would leap across the treetops as to not leave any trail. So, you know, still trying to avoid direct confrontation. Uh, and it says when unable to use a weapon of choice, grung could also deal significant amount of damage with its bite, just a simple bite. Because it's like I said, it's still it's less potent, much less potent, but still venomous saliva. You know, so a bite will still inflict some poison damage. Uh, grung are aggressive and territorial, often attack any intruders, be they adventurers, members of another tribe, doesn't really matter. Uh, one uh, tidbit of information I found, which I thought was interesting, is that you want to consider grung eggs, candied grung eggs, to be a delicacy. So, um, you know, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. If you enjoy eating candied grung eggs, more power to you, I guess. Uh, border wars are quite common among clashing grung tribes, as a single tribe usually claims area within one mile around their settlement. So obviously there's going to be like some overlap sometimes. Uh, the territory is vigor uh, rigorously patrolled, and if an intruder is encountered, the grungs never engage in negotiations to smash on site uh, when they travel or they're otherwise away from home. They usually rest high in the trees by building nests. These nests they call tungalungas and they're fashioned from their own saliva and oils. Uh, grungs are always on the lookout for creatures that they can capture and then enslave, you know, make them work for them. Uh, and they use these slaves for all manner of menial tasks but mostly they just kind of like bossing them around. It kind of sounds like a lot of grungs have like a Napoleon complex. You know, they're small dudes, you know, they kind of have a chip on their shoulder. So they like bossing people around. Uh, they hold these slaves in these crude pits covered in wooden bars and are fed mildly poisoned food to keep them lethargic and compliant. Uh, and it says that a creature afflicted in this way over a long enough period of time becomes a shell of its former self and can only be restored to normalcy through magic. So what's a grung society like? You know, uh, you're a grung, you're living in your grung settlement, your grung village. You know, what, what are you going to expect? So grungs speak their own frog-like language called grung, uh, and most don't bother to learn additional languages. Uh, they tend to live in jungles uh, or other tropical forests, as well as swamps. And like I said before, they they either dwell in or near trees, preferring to live in shady areas, uh, but also needing to remain in constant proximity to water. Like I said, one hour per day, uh, they need to submerge themselves in water or they risk dying through suffocation. On the ground, their settlements resemble uh, ramshackle, cobbled together groups of crude shelters uh, that are usually hidden within giant dead trees. And these shelters themselves tend to be circular and squat, 
with round windows and small chimneys. Uh, they're made of moss, vines, um, you know, reeds, and they're usually held together with mud. These homes generally hold members of the same caste in groups of, you know, as low as eight all the way up to 18. And a single tribe could hold, uh, could include as many as a hundred grung with about, you know, 25% of them being adolescents and children. Uh, waters that are found within grung territory uh, are usually contaminated with their skin poison. Um, and even though, you know, it, it's going to be highly diluted, it can still cause severe nausea if uh, ingested, which would be like an awesome precursor to a grung encounter is, you know, the the PC party comes up to a, a river, a stream, they drink water out of it, and then they all get sick. Like, what does it mean? Uh, as previously stated, grung society has um, has a rigid caste system, and each grung's place is determined by its color. So green grungs are the tribe's warriors. They're hunters. They're laborers, uh, kind of like the grunts. Uh, blue grungs work as artisans and in other domestic roles. Uh, supervising and guiding both of those groups are the purple grungs, with and they serve as administrators or commanders of you know of either armies or uh, hunting parties. Uh, red grungs are the tribe scholars and magic users. You know um, they are superior to the purple, blue, and green grungs, and they are given. Uh, and they're given proper respect even by the uh, two grungs of the higher status, the orange grungs and the gold grungs. Uh, speaking of the orange grungs, they're the elite warriors, and they have authority over all lesser grungs except for gold grungs. Uh, gold grungs hold the highest leadership positions, and a tribe's sovereign is always will always be a gold grung. And so although tadpoles you know, are all born initially the same color. They're still raised in ground pools, you know, already separated by their destined caste. And some mobility is possible between the castes, uh, you know, such as in cases of uh, valuable contributions, great deeds, stuff like that. Uh, it's through a combination of herbal tonics and ritual magic and elevated grung, a grung who has committed, you know, or has, uh, as, um, produced a great deed or valuable contribution, uh, they will change color and then is then inducted into its new cast in the same way that a juvenile of that cast would be. Uh, from then on, the grung and its progeny are members of this higher caste. Uh, one way of reaching a position of power was via dueling to the death for the title. And leaders are always the strongest fighters of the gold caste in the tribe, Females, you know, tended to be larger than males. Most tribes are matriarchal, much like the Lakatha, uh, and led by female war chiefs. However, you know, there have been like male kings, male chiefs. Uh, and then each tribe also has a female shaman. And then finally, uh, they're most like most common in Chult, but they're known to occupy many jungle rivers, flooded ruins, you know, throughout Faerun and then beyond Toril. Grungs are known to exist on the planet of Oerth, the you know the the main setting for for Greyhawk. So Grungs exist outside of Faerun. So 
that's you know that's a little bit of uh amphibious fun for you uh we'll be back next week with some more uh, actually next week will be our patron roundtable we'll be back with a, a mid-year checkup we're going to catch up with our patrons figure out uh you know who's been playing what you know uh what what modules they've been playing what campaigns they've been running what they're excited about in the second half of uh 2023 we've got a a boatload of, of official D and D books, as well as any number of of homebrew kickstarters that are uh, that have been announced. Uh, so, like, there's if you are a TTRPG fan, you there there isn't a lack of content for you, and we're we're excited about that for sure. So, join us next week, uh, and join us uh, each and every week as we d- dive into the the lore and the characters and the histories of of Dungeons and Dragons. It's something that uh, that we love doing, and uh, you know, barring uh, uh, the third sundering, we will continue to do so. My name is Sergio. Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your twenties be natural. Thank you for listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at D&D Lorecast or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.